Well, as always, I have the privilege of bringing us God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open up with me to Genesis 17. Uh, today we are continuing our series called Childlike Wonder, uh, where we are preaching through all the stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible, a popular children's Bible that I've read to my kids that I would absolutely recommend to you as well, even if you don't have kids, even for your own um, enrichment. And we're doing this as a way to rediscover scripture through the eyes of a child with a posture of curiosity and wonder and newness and uh, today we're going to learn about a man named Abraham and you can almost think about Abraham's story as the beginning of season two of the Bible okay if you've been with us the past few weeks uh, you'll know that the opening chapters of the Bible are all about humanity as a whole. So everything that happens from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11 is talking about the human race, okay? The creation narrative, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, all of these things are a part of season one, right? And they're establishing for us the main plot line of the Bible. They're establishing for us the protagonist of this story who is God, um, but we haven't gotten into some, any major character development just yet, right? And at the end of the Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11, which we looked at last week, after God has confused the language of the whole world, has scattered everyone over the face of the earth, it's like this cliffhanger at the end of season one. Like we're left with all these questions, right? Like, is this it? You know, has God rejected humanity forever? Is there any hope for us at all? And then you turn the page to Genesis 12, and these are the first words that you read. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right, Just when it seemed like the world was broken and beyond repair, there's all this tension building. Season two of the show begins with this glimmer of hope, with this beautiful promise. And the story now is going to move from the entire human race to the story of this one man, Abram, and his family, through whom God is going to carry out his mission to bless the entire world. And so God calls Abram and he says, look, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your home, everything that's familiar to you. I want you to go to a foreign land because I'm going to make you into a great nation and bless you and all the people on earth through you. Okay? Um, many of you, I think, can relate to this. Um, I think like over half of our church isn't from L.A. originally. Many of you have come here. L.A. was this like foreign land to you. And you came because, you know, you felt maybe some call or you felt like you wanted to pursue your passions or you felt like you wanted to build a life here. And so you left your home and you came to L.A. And it's very hard to, like, the older you get, one of the things you realize is very hard to, like, move anywhere, okay? You have to understand that when Abram gets this call in Genesis 12, the guy is 75 years old, okay? He's 75 years old, not really an ideal age to make a huge life change. But Abram's like, YOLO, let's do this, um, let's go, I'll follow you. So he goes. Well, fast forward Genesis 16, 11 years after the original call, Abram is now 86, okay? He's very old. He's 86 years old, still no kids, still holding on to this promise that God is going to make him into a great nation. Well, soon his wife, many of you know this story, soon his wife, Sarai, is like, Look, we're not getting any younger. 
you know, you got this call, maybe, maybe there's another way, so I want you to go sleep with my slave Hagar, and Abram's like, sure, you know, I'll do it. Um, lo and behold, Hagar conceives, and, you know, you would think at that point, they've gotten everything they wanted, but when you read Genesis 16, you realize, no, nobody's happy. Sarai is more bitter, more resentful, more angry than she's ever been. You see that her and Abram are at odds with one another. Their marriage is unraveling, and they've ruined this poor girl Hagar's life. And this is pretty much the story of humanity. You know, it's, it's the same pattern over and over again. God said, God gives humanity a promise. Humans think they know better than God. They decide to take matters into their own hands. They start trying to control things that aren't theirs to control. And in the end, they only bring more harm to themselves and those around them. Okay? And I could, that's an entire sermon in and of itself. Different sermon for a different day. But I needed to give you all of this to understand the context of what we're about to read in Genesis 17. Okay? So if you go there, Genesis 17, we're going to read from verses 1 to 19. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. This is the reading of God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. The, the kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we get in. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts 
be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our eyes and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today? We entrust this time and our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, many of you know the story of Abraham. Um, you know that in the Bible, he is often referred to as the father of our faith. You know, over and over again in Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham being the model of faith, how everyone after him kind of takes their cues from Abraham. But when you read the story of Abraham, when you actually go back and read the story of Abraham, it's really interesting because he doesn't necessarily feel like someone who ever believed perfectly or rightly. You know, in fact, sometimes you read the story of Abraham, and you're like, that's the guy who's the father of our faith? Like, I could do that. You know, I, I could be him, right? And I think in this little section here in Genesis 17, we really get a snapshot of what living by faith looks like. A lot of times we talk about the Christian life as this life of faith, right? But what does living by faith actually look like, practically speaking, in our daily lives? And I'm just going to talk about three things that we can, we're going to find in this passage. The first is this. That living by faith is about allowing God, not our circumstances, to define our reality. Okay, let me say that again. Living by faith is about allowing God, not our circumstances, to define our reality. Abram's life at the beginning of Genesis chapter 17 screams hopelessness and despair. Okay? He is 99 years old. It's been 13 years since he got Hagar pregnant. Almost a quarter century since the Lord promised to make him into a great nation, none of which has happened yet. Okay, so if I'm Abram, I'm thinking this, is, uh, this must be over. Okay, 25 years is a long time to wait. I'm too old. I've messed up too much, right? I, I've, at 75, it was already hard to believe, but now I'm 99 years old. And yet it's at this very moment that God shows up and not only reiterates his promise, but he gives Abram a new name. He gives him a new name. And what God is saying is, your life is not defined by who you think you are or what other people say you are. Your life is not defined by your past mistakes, by your current circumstances. Your life is defined by who I say you are, who I say you are. He's saying, you think you're too old? You think you've made too many mistakes? I am God Almighty, and I say that today you get to start over. And I think it's so powerful, like in the Bible, it feels like God, is in the, God actually is always renaming people. And you think about like the most, the, the greatest kind of power that a parent has over their children is to name them. Because you name them before they've ever lived into a name. You name them before they've ever proven themselves or they've ever achieved or accomplished anything. It's like a name that you give them. And so when God gives people a new name, he's saying, today your life gets to start over. Right? And I love that when God gives Abram a new name, he says, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. If you're Abram, you're like, where? What do you mean? And he's like, I've made you 
a father of many nations. Before Isaac was even a twinkle in Abraham's eye, God says, I have made you a father of many nations. I've already done the thing I told you I was going to do. You see, God names Abraham not according to who he is at the moment or who he was. He names Abraham according to who he is called to be. Living by faith means we refuse to allow our circumstances to define our reality. You think your marriage is unsalvageable? You think your friendship is beyond reconciliation? You think you're too old to start a new career or work in a new industry? You think you're going to be stuck in this current season forever? God renames a man at the age of 99 and he says, welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. This is who God is. Abraham thought his life was over. God says, I'm just getting started. When you see um, everything happening in Israel and Gaza right now, when you see the horrific images of innocent children and civilians being brutally murdered, it feels like we are reaching a Genesis 6 type of wickedness, right? That, that, that passage where God looks upon the earth and he sees evil and violence and corruption everywhere. And it feels like we've completely lost our humanity. And in those moments, it is very hard to believe, even as a pastor, to believe that God is sovereign, that God is in charge, and that God is good. I'm looking at the headlines, and I'm like, where is God? But living by faith is fighting to believe that God is there, even when we can't see him. It's allowing God, not our circumstances, to define our reality. So that's the first point. The second point is this, that living by faith is about embracing our weakness. Living by faith is about embracing our weakness. God says something really peculiar in the first two verses. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will, be, will greatly increase your numbers. Okay? And if you're Abram, you're hearing this, and God is like, God shows up and he's like, I need you to walk faithfully be blameless, then I'll make my covenant with you and greatly increase your numbers. You're like, well, I'm screwed because I've been trying to walk faithfully and be blameless for the last 25 years and this is where it's gotten me. This, what I have to show for it is a 13-year-old teenage son whose mom is not my wife. Okay, that's what I have to show for this. But then something interesting happens, right? Because you realize like, He's probably thinking, I can't do this, which is why his very next move after God says that to him, it's a, it says Abram fall, fell face down, right? Because he knew, like falling face down in that time was an ancient rite of humility. It was an ancient rite of reverence and worship. It was an ancient rite of someone saying, I am in the presence of someone I am not worthy to be in the presence of. And so God says, walk faithfully, be blameless. Abraham falls face down. And then notice what it says. It says, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I'm not sure if you caught that. First, God says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I'll make a covenant with you. Abram falls face down, and God is like, here's my covenant with you. What's going on here? In one verse, what's going on? And the implication is this. Walking faithfully with God begins with an acknowledgement that you don't have what it takes on your own to walk faithfully with God. It begins with an acknowledgement of our weakness. 
Abram can't start listening to God's voice. He can't start living into God's promise over his life until he's brought to a place of complete and utter dependence, until he reaches an end to himself, until he gets on his knees and says, I can't do this on my own. In Genesis 12, God gives Abram a promise. And you see, it takes almost 25 years for Abram to learn what it means to carry that promise, to be stripped of all of his self-sufficiency and pride, to come to the place where he has nothing left to hold on to but God himself. And it's only when he's face down in the dirt that God says, now you're ready to receive all that I have for you, a new name and a new story. You know, sometimes people tell me, like, man, I... I felt like God's calling on my life was very clear. Like I moved my family across the country. You know, I made all these different life changes. He put these very specific passions and gifts and people in my life. And it's like nothing has seemed to happen. But we have stories in the Bible that show us that when God makes a promise, oftentimes he doesn't answer that promise immediately. Sometimes, yes, closed door, is about God's protection, but a lot of times closed doors is about God's preparation. That sometimes it takes time, it takes years for God to get you to the place where you can actually live into and carry that promise. And often it begins with our weakness. When I ask people, when in your life did you feel closest to the heart of God? When did you feel most, like you were the most sensitive to his leading and to his spirit? I, I rarely, almost never hear someone say it's when things in my life were going well. When I was thriving, when my business was taking off. You know when people say they felt closest to the heart of God? It's usually when they feel like their lives are falling apart. When they feel like they have nothing left to hold on to. When they feel like they're in the wilderness when they experience their first big failure or loss. There's a reason the Apostle Paul says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Because when we are weak, our ears are tuned to the sound of God's voice. We can only walk faithfully with God when we come to the end of ourselves and we begin to cling to him with all of our might. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you know that this is not to say that after this point, he didn't have seasons of doubt or disbelief. In fact, after God tells Abraham, not only am I going to rename you, I'm going to rename your wife. And her name, you're not going to call her Sarai anymore. You're going to call her Sarah. She's going to have a son. And she's going to be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. You know what Abraham does? He laughs. And he says, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? He gets a new name and a story. God says, I'm going to give your wife a new name and a story too. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. Is, does, isn't that so indicative how we are as people? Like some of you have no business sitting in church today. Like it is a miracle that you have a relationship with Jesus. And yet sometimes when it comes to the people in our lives, our family members, our friends, our spouses, we're like, they're never going to change. God can't give them a new name and a new story, and we doubt. Now, speaking of Abraham's laugh, okay, this is going to be a section um, for just the Bible nerds, okay? I'm sorry. Um, most of you may not even care, okay, but it's okay. Um, 
there's actually been a lot of debate about whether or not the laugh, Abraham's laugh, right? This is what scholars debate about. What was this laugh about, right? And a lot of debate about whether his laugh was a scoffing laugh or a joyous laugh, okay? And contrary to popular belief, the prevailing interpretation of this text historically has been that Abraham's laughter was actually not one of disbelief or doubt, but one of joy and celebration, okay? And usually scholars will, uh, the reason scholars will give is threefold. The first is they'll say that right before Abraham laughs, he falls face down. So again, he's in this posture of humility and reverence. And so certainly he could not be mocking God, right? So it's more like, ha, 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 like God is going to give me a child at the age of 100, okay? Not very convincing, to be honest, okay? Second thing they mention is that God doesn't rebuke Abraham here for laughing. But one chapter later, when his wife, Sarah, laugh, laughs, God does call her out on it. Okay, so that's another thing they mentioned. And the third, third reason, that's, that wasn't really convincing either. Uh, the third reason um, these scholars give is actually the most convincing argument, which is found in Romans 4. And, and Paul actually references this exact scene in Romans 4. Um, and he says this, okay, this is verses 18 to 21. This is what he says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it, it had been said to him so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. This is the important part. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, that's a pretty convincing argument, okay? Um, that being said, a lot of the more recent scholarship on this actually goes the op opposite direction and says, no, I think we're just trying to protect Abraham's reputation. Uh, actually, that was clearly a scoffing laugh. Um, you know, there's no way around it. And a lot of times, and they'll mention the fact that um, when he says, uh, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, it's basically Abraham saying, God, thank you. I already have a son. We can go with him. He's a certainty, and Isaac is still a promise. Why don't we just go with him? So he's clearly doubting. Okay, so now, when I come to a text where there are two completely opposite interpretations, I do what most Enneagram 9s do, and I'm like, you know what? It's probably both, right? It's probably both. And I actually think um, that is the most honest interpretation of this text because it's the most human interpretation. Because if you think about it, there are days when you are, you and I, we both are, face down in the dirt, worshiping God, where we believe in God's provision over our lives. Some of you, in the, when you come on Sunday mornings, you're like, God, you can do anything. I believe you can do the impossible. The moment you leave this place, you're laughing. <laughs> you're not gonna do that, God. In the next breath, Right? In one breath, we can say, God, you're able. You're able to do everything you say you're going to do. Something happens. One little thing happens in our life, and we're like, God, there's no way you're, you're going to be able to accomplish this. I think about the story in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus encounters this desperate father pleading on behalf of his son, and he's like, my son is possessed by an evil spirit. He's convulsing on the ground. Can you do something about it? And Jesus says, can you? 
anything is possible for, for one who believes. And this man in that moment gives one of the most beautifully honest confessions of faith that you find in the Bible. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He's like, yes, I desperately want to believe that you have the ability and the willingness to do this. Help my unbelief. Abram fell face down, and then to himself, he laughed. I think it's both. Sometimes you get the Abraham of Genesis 12, who with zero hesitation, God calls him and says, leave your home, go to a foreign land. And he says, send me wherever you want me to go. And sometimes you get the Abraham of Genesis 15, who looks at God, raises his fist and says, what good are all your blessings when you haven't even given me a son? And as you read the story of Abraham, you realize maybe it doesn't really matter if Abraham laughed in disbelief or doubt or he laughed in joy and celebration because it was never about the strength of Abraham's faith anyway. It was always about the object of his faith. If you are sitting here today and you feel like your faith is hanging by a thread or you are doubting God's promises in your life, you're in good company. Because the father of faith in scripture doubted too. He didn't believe perfectly all the time. True faith is not the absence of doubt. True faith is knowing God is faithful in spite of our doubts. True faith is acknowledging that we are weak, but he is strong. So number one, living by faith is about allowing God, not our circumstances, to define our reality. Two, living by faith is about embracing our weakness. And three, living by faith is about relationship more than it is about results. Relationship more than results. What I find very interesting in this passage and very frustrating as a reader is that at the end of Genesis 17, after God talks this big game, I change your name. I change your wife's name. I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless over and over again. I'm going to bless you and all your descendants after you. Still no sign of Isaac. It's like, I've waited 25 years. Still no sign of Isaac, right? You would think after Abraham laughs, can a, can a woman bear a child at the age of 90? You would think God would be like, go to your wife now. She's pregnant. No, he doesn't do that. I wish he did. Sometimes I wish God would do these things and like really put people in their place. Not until Genesis, not until four chapters later, do we get Isaac? And a lot happens between Genesis 17 and 21. For one, God destroys two cities. He has Abraham move again. He gets, Abraham then gets embroiled in all this drama where he has to lie about Sarah being his sister. A lot happens before we even see Isaac. And it makes you wonder, maybe God is not as interested about the result as he is about the relationship. Answering your prayers is easy for God. He can do it. He can do what he says he's going to do. But God wants your heart. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to live in his presence. God wants to be your friend. In the book of James, Abraham is called a friend of God. God wants to be your friend. And that's the thing that stands out the most when you read the story of Abraham, this guy who is hailed as the father of our faith. He certainly did not get that title because he believed perfectly. He failed a lot. But what you see in the life of Abraham is a deep intimacy with God. 
in the very next chapter, Genesis 18, you get this really interesting back and forth between Abraham and God. Because God is like, yo, Abe. Like, if things are like getting rough in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham is like, wait, 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 wait. If I can find you 50 people, 50 righteous people, will you spare it? God is like, fine. And then Abraham's like, what about 45? What about 40? What about 35? And he actually negotiates with God down to 10. Abraham negotiates with the God of the universe. And God listens. All those years of waiting on God's promise, there is such a deep, profound intimacy between Abraham and God that the guy who was face down in Genesis 17, in Genesis 18, he's like strong-arming God into making a deal with him. And this friendship is so deep that in Genesis 21, after Isaac is born, this long-awaited promise, this son that Abraham has waited his entire life for, and God tells him, give him back to me. You know what Abraham says? He says, okay, God, because I trust you. You're my friend. I've been walking with you, so I know your heart. Okay, but... I don't want to steal DC's thunder because that's his text for next week, okay? So come back next week. It's a great story, okay? All this to say, if you are in a not yet season of your life where it feels like everywhere you turn, God is like, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Where you feel like you've been waiting for God to show up, I know it can be frustrating, I know it can be confusing, but what the story of Abraham shows us is that contrary to what you may think or feel, it is not that God is absent or that he has abandoned his promise, but rather that God is teaching you how to trust him, how to walk with him, and how to live in his presence. And in the story of Abraham, he does get Isaac, but there are many stories in which we don't get our Isaac, but that's the point. It's not so much about the result as it is about the relationship. I tell this story all the time. It's one of my fa favorite quotes of all time. Johnny Erickson Tata, injured in a diving accident when she was young, became a paraplegic. Every day she prayed for God's healing. Every single day. The answer was no. The answer was no. The answer was no. And she felt like maybe this is God just saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. And at some point, some medical breakthrough will happen and I will be healed. But near the end of her life, as she now goes around and speaks at these big conferences, you know what she says? She says, God has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. That every day of my life, he has carried me. He has been with me. He is my friend. I think it's very telling that God uses circumcision as the chosen symbol of the relationship he is cultivating with Abraham. It's a really weird thing to talk about, right? Like when I looked at the Jesus story book Bible, I've been reading my kids the story I'm gonna preach on on Sunday. I was like, please God, let there not be something about circumcision in there because I'm not ready to talk to my kids about that. Okay, it's strange. It's weird, okay? And I was, I was thinking in my mind, why doesn't God just tell them, Paint your faces blue, and I'll know that you are a part of my family. Why circumcision? And over and over again, he talks about being circumcised, having every male in your family circumcised. Why? 
Why does he make that the sign of the covenant, something so bloody and so intimate and so personal? You see, God is trying to tell us something about the nature of his relationship with us. He's saying, I'm all in. This relationship is so important to me that it's going to require pain and messiness and blood. My pain and my blood. You see, what circumcision, this act of cutting off a part of one's flesh, was ultimately pointing to was the work of Jesus Christ, who willingly placed himself under the knife, who bled and who died so that we would be restored back to our creator. This is how much God cares about this relationship. And so even when we can't see clearly exactly what God is doing in our lives, what we do know is that God is fiercely committed to his people and absolutely faithful to keep his promises. Abraham in Genesis 17 certainly did not know exactly how things were going to pan out with him and his wife. But I imagine the day Isaac was born, Abraham held him in his arms and he looked back at all those years of waiting. And I imagine he said to himself, not only did God make the impossible happen for me, he never left me in my waiting. He was with me from the very beginning. I just didn't see it. So friends, whatever you are facing today, the invitation is to walk by faith, not by sight to place your trust in the one who doesn't just deliver us, but the one who will nourish and sustain us until the very end. Let's pray. I want to give us a moment to respond to our word today especially if you feel like you are in a not yet season of your life where it feels like there are all these promises or you feel like God is calling you to something but you're, all you're experiencing are closed doors or are, all you're experiencing are un, what, what feels like unfulfilled promises. And if you're in that kind of a season in your life, I want to invite you to pray, God, more than anything, help me to know you in my waiting. That even more than the result, help me to know that you are walking beside me. Help me to know that you love me. Help me to know the one who is carrying me through. So much so that at the end of the day, the relationship is more important than the result. Let's pray that prayer. Gracious God, we confess our weakness. We confess our faithlessness. We confess that oftentimes um, we doubt you and we don't believe that you are good uh, to keep your promises 
in our lives. But God, we pray this morning that you would remind us of the cross, the ultimate symbol of your unconditional love for us, the ultimate guarantee that whatever season of our life we find ourselves in, whatever we think is reality, whatever our world tries to tell us our lives are worth, that the cross would remind us that we are loved, that we are cherished, we are valued by the creator of the universe and that you do have a glorious plan for our lives. So God, we pray this morning that you would help us, God. Help our unbelief. Help us to walk in faith, to walk by faith, not by sight. We love you. Uh, we entrust our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen.